Today at Humanity at Its Best, we have Katherine Campbell, and she has started an organization called Asheville Strong. So welcome, Catherine, and um, tell us, where are you today? And, you know, what was the impetus for Asheville Strong? And then what is Asheville Strong? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So I am in Asheville, North Carolina, and I started Asheville Strong as a all-in-one place directory for people to buy gift cards during the coronavirus pandemic. It was something that I noticed we didn't have available here in the area. And as I was looking around and having to work with local businesses who didn't have uh, gift cards available, or they were just trying to put the word out on social media, I realized that there needed to be some kind of unified voice or unified system. So I decided to build that in a day. I love I love it in a day. We, we just interviewed another organization and they too built what they built in a day. So kudos to you for being quick. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what it, What is it that they say? Necessity is the mother of invention. Absolutely. <laughs> so so how did you um, get the um, the names of businesses? And, and also, why did you feel that it was really important to support local business? I have a marketing and PR agency, and we represent a lot of local businesses, restaurants, hotels, uh, retail shops, little mom and pop independent businesses that really depend on that foot traffic in the doors. And so once there was a mandated closure on those places, you know, dining rooms were ordered to close, shops had to close their doors for safety. And, you know, for good reason, everybody needed to be uh, protecting others against against this virus. But it was going to kill cash flow overnight. And so that became a a huge warning sign and something that scared me and it scared the the people I was talking with. It scared my clients. And they were asking themselves, how how can we get cash flow right now? How are we going to make money overnight to pay the bills that are due tomorrow? We don't know where that money is going to come from. And so we were looking at all of these online options, merchandise, gift cards, um, takeout and delivery orders, anything that we could to pivot their business models that would traditionally rely on foot traffic. And so with gift cards are, you know, gift cards are also as they support the local economy. The more money that you put into the local economy directly, you know, the more of that also stays in the local economy. So it just made sense. Brilliant. And so how long has it been up and running? So I built the website in five hours on March 14th. We launched it at 7 p.m. on on March 14th, and that was a Saturday night, I believe. And I've lost track of the days, as many of us have. And I woke up the next morning to dozens of submissions in there. So it's been um, just, it's going on three weeks now. Um, and it's its just taken on a life of its own. It's a movement that I never expected would, would be this big. And it's, you know, it's something that you can put out there as an individual, but it takes a community to grow that movement. It takes a community to, to, to get it and to take it and run with it. And that's exactly what's happened here in the city. It's been incredible. And how is the pandemic in Asheville? It's, it's definitely hitting here right now. Um, I think that we're getting ready to see a peak um, in, in the virus here. Um, you know, our wave of patients and, and of, of 
how it's been affecting businesses and people living here and everybody social distancing and shutting down. I think we were about two weeks behind the other major, major metropolitan areas. Um, so it's been, I think we're, we're bracing for the worst impact coming up. Oh, well, uh, certainly our, our prayers are with you. Um, how do you feel about the response to, to what you're doing? How does, you, how does it make you feel? I mean, I know you're a professional, you're in communications, but how does it make you feel as an individual? You know, it's, it's something where, <laughs> you know, it, it, we didn't even do this for our business. We, we didn't even, I actually told my staff after I built it that we were, I said, surprise, we're doing this thing. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're going to just see what happens with this because I think that that was just the place where I was reacting from was just from a personal level of just trying to save these, you know, these businesses and these business owners and trying to help the, uh, these other human beings that I've known for many, many years. I mean, not just clients, but community members who I've known now for, I don't know, 20 plus years. Um, and so that's the beauty of, of Asheville is that it's a, it's a city, but it still operates very closely like a town. You know, p- people know people. They take the time to get to know people here and then they show up and support them, you know, when they need it. So that's been, that's been really heartwarming. I think a huge part has been the, you know, the fact that this, this grew so much. Like we, we started out with just five categories. We thought, you know, hey, we're going to be able to help a handful of restaurants or a handful of shops stay open, hopefully with some gift card sales. And now we have close to 700 business listings on the site. We've had 60,000 page views. We've had nearing 30,000 visitors to the site. And then we're hearing back from the owners because we don't have a way to... We don't take a cut of the gift card sales. We don't funnel that through something ourselves. We we just send them directly to the shops to buy the gift card online. And so we've been relying on anecdotal uh, case studies and evidence coming back from the business owners themselves. And they're telling us it's working. You know, they're they're selling handfuls of gift cards here and there. They have other businesses that are buying hundreds of gift cards. Um, as as a social responsibility initiative um, to share out later, so you'll see gift cards being sold one or t- you know one or two at a time here as individuals, and then you've got other organizations that are buying them in bulk. So it's it's working. It's a great one one stop place. Well, that, that's fantastic. So what do you wish um, that's going to happen as a positive outcome? of um, Asheville Strong and uh, those who have helped uh, you initiate it and participate in it. What do you think the future will look like once we get back to some level of pre-COVID life? I think people are starting to think about how business can be done differently. Um, I think, you know, one of the best things that has come out of this initiative and out of this community movement is that a lot of businesses have done the work that needs to be done to make themselves more stable online and be able to open those online sources of revenue. And hopefully those will continue in the months and years to come. And in the meantime, Asheville Strong itself as a movement has created a really solid foundation to the point where we are going to be um, looking at addressing and establishing ourselves as a nonprofit and establishing a, um, a community relief fund in the near future as well. So those are our goals for the next six months. 
I think the most important thing is is don't think about something being perfect. Just build it with the tools that you have. If you want to help people, don't try to be all things to all people. You know, my skill set. I'm not a. I'm not a doctor. I'm, you know, I'm not a nurse. I'm not an educator. Uh, my family members are, and that's that's their skill sets. That's how they're showing up and helping people right now. And so I had to ask myself, what's my skill set? What's my one talent that I can use to show up for others right now? And that's the talent of of communications and in. in getting something built and putting it out there to help. So think about what is your one skill set? What is the one thing you can bring to the table to help one part of your community? And just start it. Don't think about being perfect and being all things to all people. Just start and you'll be able to do your part. Reshma Khan founded the Shifa Free Clinic in 2012. I'd love to hear in your own words about the clinic, who you serve. Uh, So let's just start there. So my name is uh, Reshma Khan, and uh, I founded the Shifa Clinic back in 2012. This clinic serves uh, everybody, regardless of race, religion, uh, um, gender, identity, Especially it is for those people, those who are uninsured and those who are 250% below poverty line. And and, and your, your geography, you're in South Carolina. So how many counties do you serve? How many people? Yeah. So we serve the tri-county area and uh, uh, anybody who lives in the state, if they're able to come to our clinic, we'll be happy to serve them. So we do not have any geographic restriction in terms of the, um, the miles or the radius or the zip code. If they can come to our clinic, we will serve them. That's, so we that's have commendable. People, sure. Yeah, yeah. So we have people coming all the way from Beaufort, uh, sometimes also from Hilton Head and other areas, uh, Walterboro, in addition to our tri-county area, which is Dorchester, Charleston and Berkeley County. Um, so we initially, initially I started this clinic off on a very, very small scale. It was just me, uh, just one person, uh, one room and a computer. That's all I started off with. And uh, this all is my volunteer work. I have never taken any form of compensation for any of this work that I do. Um, and started off as four hours a week. And since I'm a gynecologist, so I just uh, uh, started with a gynecology service on Saturdays, every four, uh, four hours, every Saturday. Um, and, you know, it does feel like how one person can make a difference and uh, how you can do it all by yourself. But this is the reality and this is the truth. It was just me and nobody else. And then over years, the the work was more recognized. People started joining me. People collaborated with me. Uh, the community uh, came uh, came together. And now after uh, so many, uh, in now to, uh, after eight, 10, this is our 10, ninth year of service. We are a full-time clinic. We are Monday through Friday, and we are multi-specialty. So in, we have primary care, GYN, OB, mental health, uh, dermatology, pediatrics, dental, as well as uh, we have an on-site dispensary and a very strong diabetes program, uh, which not only provides the medications, free insulin, but also provides diabetic education. So how many um, people do you have now in terms of either full-time or volunteers providing these amazing services? And how many people do you serve on a weekly basis? 
Yes. So uh, uh, this is still run 90% by volunteers. And um, uh, we have a very small staff of only six people uh, because we also have, in addition to the food services, the, the health services, we also have an on-site food pantry, which in normal situation with the pre-COVID, we were serving about uh, um, 800 individuals on a monthly basis and uh, about, you could say, 250 families on a monthly basis. Um, so for that, we have now a food pantry coordinator, volunteer coordinator, three front staff people because our phones are very busy and uh, because we serve a high population of uh, Hispanic. So uh, bilingual was a must in our office. So we have three front desk people who are bilingual and that helps through our communication, through giving the patient messages, making them feel comfortable. 80% of our patient population is Hispanic. 10% about African-Americans and 10% Caucasian. So what's it like during the pandemic? And, and I'm sure you're really stretched, but you're also, you were very smart to do some pivoting about serving your patients. Yes, absolutely. When the, when the COVID-19 happened in uh, starting March 16, we had to do a, a 180 degree turn in terms of the services we offered. I did not want to cut down any of the services but still wanted to take proper precautions for both our staff, the volunteers, as well as the patients, because um, we, uh, that is number one, safety is number one. So uh, we want to make sure how, how we could do this. And uh, the main requirement I felt was more health, of course, was there, but food was a very top priority amongst the people. People uh, have had lost their jobs, people had lost you know, income, and there was a, um, a great need of food. So I focused a lot on uh, providing a safe food distribution to the people. And uh, this required a lot of back-end work. And currently, we are serving about 300, 300 to 400 families a week. That is about you know more than 1,000 people a day, which is, on as I said, prior pre-COVID, we were doing 250 to 300 families a month. And now we are doing 375 plus a week. And, and how are you getting your, your food? Yes. So uh, um, our biggest collaboration, of course, is through Low Country Food Bank. We cannot do this without Low Country Food Bank. So um, yeah, we, we were a partner agency prior to the pre-COVID, and we were also one of the top 25 health and wellness pantries. So um, uh, we had a good uh, relationship with the, with the Low Country Food Bank uh, professional relationship. And uh, it continued after COVID. And for, uh, I think I would say, at least for the first five days or six days, we that's what I was told. I am not very sure. There might be others as well. But this is what I was told, that we were the only food pantry that was open full time, 8 to 4 p.m. Uh, so uh, our responsibilities was much higher than the others. And I wanted to reach out to as many people and as many families as I could. And then also, and also your volunteers, have you gotten new volunteers? Yes. So this was another big impact that I have seen uh, uh, in what Shifa Clinic, I feel my biggest accomplishment or our accomplishment through the clinic is the community building, the collaborations that we have established. And uh, this is a prime example of uh, community collaborations and uh, coming together. We, the Charleston community has been amazingly supportive and uh, we have had all new volunteers, all new people that have come together to serve the community with me. 
And uh, without their support, without the support of the community, without the support of Low Country Food Bank, there was absolutely no way that I could have done any or or our clinic could have done any of this stuff, a team together. And and you're doing such extraordinary work and you're this this relationship builder. You you have this ecosystem throughout the community. How did you learn to do that? Uh, You know, to be very honest, it. I started this all started with a prayer and I feel this is the effect of the prayer that I made because I never, even when I was struggling and I was in a very difficult situation in terms of how to start this clinic, I had no, uh, uh, you know, guidance. I had nobody to tell me where to go. Uh, my prayer was this, that God helped me build a place, which is a portal of goodness for all portal where we all could come together on a common platform and serve the bigger purpose, you know, and be uh, be useful to each other. And my always, the prayer has always been that God, whoever walks through this door should feel your mercy. And uh, uh, that's exactly what this is, that that clinic has come, up, come about to. The people who come through the door, the people, the volunteers, the patients, the staff, the Everybody is just a very positive environment, a very positive energy that we come, we we have through each other. I think we feed on each other's energy. You do, and uh, it is just that's all how we could achieve the things that we have achieved so far, so much in such a little bit, in such a short span of time. Well, you are certainly amazing, and now I know why you're so beloved, and that they were cheering at that Charleston event. I would love you to share any insights with anyone who's listening, someone who's maybe scared to start a clinic or um, a business serving underserved, um, you know, or anything just helping society. What would you suggest to them? Yeah, I would definitely suggest that, you know, number one, that it has its own challenges for sure. I won't say that it is a piece of cake. It is very easy to do it. No, it has its challenges. It has its frustrations. But your passion and your desire to serve should be much higher, you know, and in your it should be a genuine desire in your heart, a burning desire in your heart is what you want to do. You know, as I always say, what is in the well will come out in the bucket. So, you know, <laughs> oh, it's yeah. great. I love that. Okay. So it has to be in you and it has this, desire has to be in you and it should be genuine and it should be you know um uh true to your uh beliefs be be firm on your beliefs and uh, make sure that you work hard towards achieving the purpose not necessarily the results but what your purpose identify the purpose in life and then it will be easy for you to follow to reach to those steps and the number two is language don't, as I always see, feel that people feel that, oh, I, they might not understand me or the culture is different or the uh, uh, the the language is different. But within my experience of last 10 years, I could say that if it is true and genuine, people will understand every language. Kindness has no language. And, you know, it will come across, it will come across the barriers and it will go through every heart if it comes out true from you. And that is, I think, the best way to work is to build, not run after the results, but build and working with the team will give you the best results. And uh, reaching out to people, uh, listening to them, being patient, perseverant, I think those are the keys to any successful organization or any successful uh, uh, work that you are undertaking. 
And above all, I think keep your desires and keep your uh, intentions true and genuine and purposeful. Now, I'm going to ask you for some advice, which is that I am trying to bottle up the amazing humanity that's been expressed during the pandemic and to keep it going. I mean, if we had a country that had everyone like you, we we wouldn't have problems. But, you know, we only have about 30 percent of people volunteer. And what we're trying to do is create a movement where everyone does what you said, a little smile or a hand up, um, just, you know, just showing up with genuine intent. Do you have any suggestions for me and my colleagues of ideas or directions that we can get the country to bottle up this humanity and to express it every day? Yeah, I think what you're doing already is is a part of that. And uh, reaching out and, and encouraging people and showing them the stories of uh, uh, as you already are doing is, uh, um, is I think, one step closer to your what you are wanting to achieve. I think people want to learn, want to hear, and they get inspired and want to do things when they hear stories of people who have achieved so uh, achieved things in their life, and they've seen results in other people's uh, uh, work as well. Getting inspired from people is uh, is one of the best ways to follow the directions. I think you guys are already doing that. If I could, if I come up with a machine to replicate people, you're like first, you're first on my list. Oh, thank you so much. You're very kind. Karen Hitzelberger is a third grade teacher in Walnut Creek, California. Welcome to the show, Karen. Thank you, Carol. It's so great to be here. So Karen, I have heard through the grapevine through our network, is just done a wonderful job adapting to the new way of teaching in a social distancing world. And so, Karen, if we could talk a little bit about your class and then um, what you did to adapt your style, and then we'll get into a conversation. That's great. Okay, so I have 22 wonderful girls and boys that split right down the middle. And um, I've got students from Egypt, from Mexico, from uh, Russia. It's incredible the diversity our school, Buena Vista Elementary in Walnut Creek has. And the students on the Friday that we closed the school down walked out with five books. And we didn't send home their workbooks or anything. So we've had to scramble to get everything offline and convert it into PDFs and all that. So I love technology, although I don't didn't use it a lot, but I love it. So I've adapted to this well. Um, I learned Zoom. I've learned Google Classroom. I've learned all those those techniques. But the biggest thing is you wondered, how did I change? I didn't change me at all. And I brought me and I'm the the biggest influence on these kids and their education. So I brought myself to all these these, uh, online technology uh, platforms and the kids have been responding incredibly. 
So, wow. so tell me, tell me about the the challenges for them to shift, and the, talk about the kids first, and then I want to hear about the parents and how are they doing. Right. Well, the the big shift for them is not seeing each other, and they miss each other a lot. Not being able to because we hug and acknowledge each other and all that, and and we do a Zoom classroom every morning though, so they get to see each other. And um, the other dynamic, as I told you behind me, I, I've created a classroom here in my dining room, and I brought all the all the supplies from my classroom here so that I could do create lessons. So I've been doing that, but my students have um, been struggling some. But they miss that. The work is huge because we're giving them more than they'd ever get in a classroom because usually you're busy doing other things or going to assemblies and such. How many hours a day do they have schooling now? Well, the they're supposed to, the district has said three hours a day they're supposed to devote. But I just had started getting emails from parents saying, this is too much. I can't handle this. Um, some kids are working from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And the parents need to help them with the work because I usually am helping them. Right. And the parents have jobs. And so this has been the big challenge to find that balance. And so how I'm sure some of the kids are like, hey, they're naturals and they really like it. And then some are, might be anxious because these are very strange times. And so how are you balancing all of those different emotional situations? Well, we start the week off, the every day off with our meeting and we do a sharing and I mix it between like the first week we talked about the resourcefulness and resilience you need to be able to cope with this. And again, with my counseling background, I know when you can express your feelings and your fears in a, a supportive environment, it makes you feel like you can handle it better. And so that was the key thing that I always keep in mind as we're sharing. But then I got to keep it light, too. You don't want to have them be thinking about this all the time. They're writing a pandemic journal through the coaches at our school, and they're this is going to be, they're going to be the primary source in the future for what's happened during this time. So I've tried to make them feel important that way too. That's smart. Yeah. They're the historians. Yeah. Yeah. And then the share today was what's going on with the hair in your house? <laughs> That's <laughs> you know, great. Who's cutting hair? Who's got, and they love that. And other teachers are doing things like scavenger hunts and, and such. But our workload has been, it's the, the district is really trying to meet the needs of the standards in mm -hmm. the school expectations, but um, we've got to temper it. And so I'm always shifting and changing my approach and my, simplifying everything. I kept making it simpler and simpler to, for the kids to access and for the parents to understand. So real time, real time learning. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, real time. So do you have, yeah, do you have any of your peers that you're talking to so you can exchange this is working, this isn't working? We have a Zoom staff meeting every week. I collaborate with my third grade team every week, and they've just set up a meeting with all the third grade teachers in the district to talk about what are you doing, what's helping, what isn't helping. The main thing we need is time, and we don't have enough time, and neither do the kids. It might sound like they do. They have forever, but to have that time to put into that much schoolwork, they don't want to do that. They need to be active and so um, I just sent them, one of our first grade teachers did a YouTube video of herself doing a course on her driveway. 
doing different exercises. Right. And she videotaped herself, gave it to her students um, to copy. And I put out the <laughs> challenge to my students, right. make up one of these. I played it for them. So I'm trying to always keep it a balance between be real, have real feelings, because this is a very heavy time. And then what are you doing to keep yourself going? How about the parents? Because how are you dealing with them and how are they dealing with work and feeding and fears and juggling? They're they're having a tough time, but my class, I gotta say, my parents are amazing. They my biggest thing is to communicate. I learned that a long time ago. You put you prevent problems if you're clear on what your expectations are and what you think parents need to be doing or thinking about. And I try to do that at every stage and I keep adjusting. What do you need? I'll try that. Let's keep doing it. And I just got some feedback. One of my parents in my classroom is a a board member on the school board. And he wrote and he said, thank you. You've made this, you know, working for us because you keep responding and fine tuning it. And they feel listened to. So just like the children, if you listen to them, acknowledge their feelings and try to help them with whatever is their concern, the parents respond the same way. So I do the same thing with the parents. You told me in our pre-interview that you have a background in, um, I guess, mental health and counseling and such. Can you uh, talk a little bit about how you applied that in terms of being empathetic um, and really being like a good counselor to the children and parents? Yeah, that's the, sometimes I say to the other teachers, it's like we're riding on a surfboard in the way, what's the next wave coming and how do we manage that next wave? Um, I I lived in the Adirondack, I grew up in upstate New York, by the way, and I I lived in a cabin in the woods in the 70s and then came out of that and worked in a group home. And then I ran my own group home and had four emotionally disturbed kids living in the home with my husband and myself. And then we moved to California, and that's when I got the job at UC Davis in running a peer counseling center, teaching empathy to students so they could talk to other students and help them. And uh, that was uh, just a huge education for me. And then I, it was the time I wanted to be a mother, and I really wanted to stay home and raise my kids. So I did that for 13 years. And then I was a room parent in my classroom that I'm in right now, as a matter of fact, that same room. And the teacher said, you know, you've got a great style and attitude. Now you ought to become a teacher. And I thought it's time to go back to work. And I went back to school and became a teacher 21 years ago. Well, we are very, I think that the world is very fortunate that you had that career trajectory. So I would love to hear any tips and hints from your counseling background and your embracing of empathy to share with more so parents that they can either, you know, be kind to each other or how they can really, you know, be a a really good friend uh, to their children at these tough times, as well as a parent, a loving parent. Right. Well, the the hardest part is I am, I'm here alone. I'm 69 years old. Um, I don't have a partner or children here. I just have my dog. So I, first of all, I don't pretend I know what it's like to be trying to educate children at home. So I'm very open to any of their concerns. But the biggest thing is do what works. I keep saying this to the family, do what works for your family. 
but stay in touch with your child. Look at them, notice them, listen to them. That's always the parenting I tried to do because sometimes I need to be in front of my child leading them. So the parents sometimes need to say, now sit down, do your work, do this. Other times you need to be by them. Do you need my help? Are you doing okay? Checking in with them. And finally, sometimes get out of the way, get behind them, let them go their own course. And I've done that as a parent and as a teacher. That's exactly what I do. And so I I recommend to the parents, just stay tuned into your kid as, as much as you can. But you've got to take care of yourself, too, so you don't get very stressed out and, and it could lead to not good things. Yeah, well, those are wonderful words of wisdom. So I want to ask you one other question, which has to do with the humanity that has been expressed from, you know, neighbor to neighbor, um, doing, you know, little things, you know, shopping for an elderly person, maybe walking someone's dog or just helping out. Do you feel that that will be continued once we go back to somewhat of a normal life? That's a big question. Um, I have seen humanity. I love your humanity at its best especially here in the Bay Area, people are taking this very seriously. And people are wearing masks now. We just made it a rule. If you're outside, you have to have a mask on. And people are doing it. They were not rebelling. But you know, in 19, during the Spanish um, epidemic, San Francisco had a group that were um, protesting wearing masks. And so it, it makes me think history. I really have been looking at, back at that pandemic, trying to learn from it. I think we'll take steps forward, um, and that's all I ever ask of a human being, is you try to be the best you can be. I hate to quote Oprah here, but she's, I, one thing I like she said is, when we know better, we do better. And that's why, as an educator, it's so important to me that we learn to think, to problem solve, to care, to feel to realize our best selves. And I'm hoping that that's what's going to happen, that we will have tapped into our best selves. I hear people, when I walk by their houses, talking to each other. I see people, um, well, my I don't go out because I'm 69 and have some health issues. Look what my one of my friends brought me when she brought me my groceries. She brought me beautiful roses. Aww. People are being so kind, kind. and generous. Right. We have the time. I just hope we don't return to the rat race. Okay, so if you, so, you are really wise. And so, do you have any suggestions on how we might be able to continue that wonderful type of neighborliness going forward? Any suggestions? This has shown who a lot of us really are. And education, more than ever, is so important that we're a science-based society that we make decisions based not on politics or money, but on people. And um, i that's the whole push that I put. Grades aren't as important. What you get on your SAT, where you go to college, isn't as important as who are you, who have you become, and what are you contributing to our society? You know, if, if you can't help, get out of the way, at least. So we are in the trenches, but we're making a difference. And I, I keep telling everybody in my class, you're making a difference. Just keep being your best self. And instead of saying, try to become something, no, become your best self. <laughs>